Well, uh, many of you know that this past school year, I participated with the uh, FCA at Wartburg. And uh, this past week, I, I ran into one of the leaders. Uh, he's been out of state all summer at an internship. And so saw him, and I just was like, hey, let's catch up. So he's like, let's do lunch. So we went out this week to do lunch, and he had a great summer. It was, it was so much fun to hear all the things that he learned and, and some of the even personal decisions he made. I mean, he decided to just lose some weight, and he lost 35 pounds. He, he's like feeling really good. and I mean, it, just, it was a really, really good summer. Well, after our, our lunch was done and we headed our separate ways, I got to reflecting on our time, and I realized it really was truly an amazing one hour because during that hour, I got a glimpse of his past his present, and his future. I heard about his past, the past three months, all the opportunities he got in his internship, some of the crazy things that happened, things that he just kind of got thrown into, but also some of the things God did in him. And then, because of those things that happened in the past, I could see the benefit right there in the present. Not that this young man was really immature, but I just saw more maturity. And not that he was a big braggart, but I just sensed some humility in him, And yet, I saw him also instilled with some confidence. Like, he realized, I can do this. And so that meant I got a glimpse of his future. He, he had this sense of, I'm on the right track. Where God's leading me, this is where I need to go. I got to see his past, his present, and his future. Well, I hope that our next half hour together does something similar in you. That, that as we consider the things in the scriptures, that part of you might be humbled, but I'm hoping also that you're instilled with confidence, that you're encouraged, that like my friend, you, you end up a little more mature, that there's a sense of peace. Because today, what we're going to see in the scriptures is that if you are a follower of Jesus, God has written a story, and today you get to see your spiritual past, your spiritual present, and your spiritual future, and discovering the difference that makes. So if you brought a Bible, I invite you to open it up to Colossians chapter 1. If you didn't bring a Bible, don't worry about it. We're going to be putting the scripture on the screen. Uh, we're just absolutely dedicated on you being able to read and study this right along with us. However, I strongly encourage you, get a Bible. Now, at Riverwood, we are fine with digital Bibles. So if you already have one on your phone, feel free to use that. If you don't have a Bible on your phone, download one to it. And that way, wherever you go with your phone, you've always got a Bible there. But if you want to go old school like me and use a paper copy, we've got two translations on our resource table. We'd love to give one of those Bibles to you. That'd be our gift. That way, when you come back on a Sunday, you could open it up with us. But then you could also use it on Monday and Tuesday and any day of the week. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to look at Colossians 1, verses 1 through 23. Just three little verses today. Uh, so as we get ready to read those, uh, let's pray together. Well, Heavenly Father, uh, we are coming to your timeless scriptures to hear what you said to Jesus' followers a long time ago, and yet some of what is here, it, it pertains to us today. And so I pray that you'd help us to have open ears and open hearts, not to what I want to say, but what you want to and need to say to each and every person here. Heavenly Father, I think it's absolutely ridiculous to think that I, as one person, can say exactly what needs to be said for each and every individual. We are coming into this with different backgrounds, with different biases, with different per perspectives. And yet, God, I pray that you, through your Holy Spirit, do what only you can do so that we come out of here exactly with what we need, what you said, and that when we leave, it isn't about what Aaron Bird said. It's about what you, Jesus Christ, have said through your Holy Spirit to us and through these words that you wrote to the Apostle Paul. So, Father, teach us now for your glory and for our joy and growth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If, indeed, you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. If you're here today, or you've joined us online, and you're not a follower of Jesus yet, I, I want you first to know that I'm glad you're here, you may not believe this, but we actually started Riverwood Church for you. When, when my family moved to, to Waverly, we had zero interest in just taking Christians from other churches and, and starting something new. Our, our goal was for those who had no church home, who felt spiritually disconnected from God, and we wanted them to begin this relationship with God, and we believe that relationship became, comes through Jesus Christ. So we wanted to help people find Jesus and follow him, and, and that is still our heart. So if, if that's you, you belong here. We want you to feel like you could bring your questions. We may not have it all figured out, but we will join with you in seeking these things out. But we believe that these truths are found in the scriptures. And so we want to help you in that. But I just need to be open and fair and honest with you. What you're going to hear today is about Jesus followers. It's about people who already believe the gospel message and have put their identity into this. Now, that doesn't mean you should now just therefore check out because this doesn't pertain to you. Actually, just the opposite. I'm going to encourage you to lean in, to, to really listen, to take notes, maybe even write down some questions. Because if you listen in, and then the day comes when you realize the truth of the gospel, you want to give your life to this, to, to realizing Jesus gave his life for you, so you give your life to him, then you already have a head start in understanding what God has done on a spiritual level. So that's why I encourage you to listen in. Uh, we're in the book of Colossians. Uh, we've, this is our fourth week here. And so far in the book of Colossians, we've seen Paul writing to this church. Now, what you need to realize is that Paul never went to Colossae. Most of the letters that Paul wrote of what we know as the New Testament, he wrote to churches that he planted, he started. However, there were two churches he didn't start that he wrote letters to, and one of them was Col uh, the book of Colossians. So he's writing to a people he's never met, to live in a city he's never been to. But when word came to him about this new church, he got so excited, he writes them a letter to basically say, welcome to the family of God. But at the same time, he wants to make sure that they really understand what it was that they heard. He wants to reiterate to them the gospel. This is only our fourth week, and already we have heard Paul over and over and over talk about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's the theme of this book. It's the foundation. It's like the fabric that's been woven like a tapestry throughout everything that he's writing. Because he, having traveled all around the Mediterranean region, having planted all these other churches, he's seen a lot and heard a lot. And some of the churches that he helped start have heard different things, and they've kind of wandered away from the gospel. And he doesn't want this brand new little church to make the same mistake and so that is why he keeps talking about this over and over and over. And we're going to see it yet again today in just these three verses. Now, in these three verses, what he wants them to realize is here's who you were in your spiritual past. All right, again, he's talking to Jesus' followers. So here's who you were before BC, before Christ. Here's who you are now in Christ. And here's who you can be and will be, what God wants to do in you. 
All right, so let's look at the spiritual past, spiritual present, and spiritual future of a Jesus follower. All right, first, the past. We see this in verse 1. Paul writes, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. All right, he begins with and, and you. The and there means that what he's about to say is somehow connected and tied with what he just talked about. Well, those of you who were with us last week, who did Paul uh, talk about last week? And it, feel free to use your Bibles. It's okay to cheat. Open Bible test. Okay, this is the easiest Sunday school answer in the entire world. Someone, who did Paul talk about? Jesus, Jesus all right? Do you guys not know, like, in, in Sunday school? You know, what's small, furry, has a big bushy table and eats nuts? And the kids go, well, it sounds like a squirrel, but it's got to be Jesus because I'm at church, <laughs> right? The answer is Jesus, right? He, Paul talks about Jesus last week, and he painted us the most poetical, most powerful, most beautiful description in all of the scripture about Jesus. What we saw last week is that Jesus was not just another man, that he was God. And if he's God over all things, we saw last week that he's therefore uh, I'm mean, sorry, God of all things. He's over all things. He's a creator of all things, sustainer of all things, and reconciler of all things. But now, after talking about Jesus so beautifully and powerfully, he says, and you. So now he shifts the focus away from Jesus, but yet somehow this Jesus is now tied to them. And what is it he wants them to realize? He says, and you who once were. So he's now talking about their spiritual past. This is not who they are now. We're going to get to that in a minute. This is who they were BC, before Christ. And who did they used to be? Well, they used to be alienated. I, I am not a Greek scholar. I, don't, I do not know Greek, so I have to rely on uh, other tools to help me understand things. So one of the tools I use is a parallel Bible, and I get to see what multiple translations have. And it was really interesting, the different words that got used here. One translation had the word stranger instead of alienated. Another one said that we were far off or far away. Another said we were cut off. I thought that was a little harsh. Until I discovered that the Greek word, which by the way is so long, I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce it. It's like 16 letters long. But here's what this word means. It means to be shut out from one's fellowship and intimacy. To be shut out or cut off from one's fellowship and intimacy. Sounds kind of like a husband in the doghouse. Except it's way worse because it's not just for one night. It's like this permanent separation. We are cut off. We are shut out from God's fellowship, from his intimacy, from relationship with him. We were alienated. But that's not enough to Paul. That's not enough description. He, he takes it a step further. He says that we were also hostile in mind. In other words, we thought like an enemy. In fact, in Romans chapter 5, when Paul is talking about the gospel, he talks about our spiritual past, and he even uses that word flat out. We were enemies of God. But he points out, we didn't just think like an enemy, we actually began to live it out. Notice he says, we were doing evil deeds. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm starting to get a little uncomfortable. This is starting to sound like one of those like fire and brimstone, you know, like maybe I should have a big wooden pulpit here and I should be pounding it. Because so far, it's been pretty negative. You were alienated. You were hostile in mind. You were doing evil. The reason we're uncomfortable is because we have a different definition of evil. 
Our definition of evil is murder. It's rape. It's the actions of Hitler, Stalin. Now, don't misunderstand me. Those, all of that, evil, absolute, awful, horrible, evil stuff. But for God, all sin is evil. Because you realize, for God to be God, he is perfect, he is holy, he is the very definition of righteousness. And if he, God, as spirit without body, allows anything that's unrighteous, that is imperfect, that is sin, into his presence, he is no longer perfect. It, it, it just, it can't work. I mean, if we tried in our sinfulness to come into the holy presence of God, we'd be thanos we We'd just be gone. But because he loves us, he doesn't want that. And so he could not just let us into his presence because even our smallest of sins is evil. And so that means that that little morsel of gossip that you gave at the lunch table, evil. That lie you told to your spouse or to your kid or to your parent to kind of protect your reputation, to cover something up, evil. Those thoughts that you had about that certain person or about that certain group of people, evil. It isn't because we, as these islands who see one another as very nice, the standard is not one another. Well, hey, I'm not at least as bad as that one. The standard is God. And we fall so short that even our best attempts are still so woefully below, it's evil. Because you see, those evil deeds come from that hostile mind. Think about it. When you tell a lie, is your first thought, this is to glorify God? No, it's usually to protect yourself. When you tell a little morsel of gossip, is it to glorify God? No, it's to make the other person really impressed or to tear someone else down. When you lust after someone who isn't your spouse, is that glorifying to God? No, because you're trying to, in a sense, in your mind, use their body for your own gratification. In a sense, it's all about us and not about him, so therefore we are hostile in our minds and we are against him, which then leads us to be alienated. But remember, for Jesus followers, this is who they once were. This is not who they are now. So next, let's go and see who they are in the present. In the present. We see this down there in verse 22. First half of 22 says that he, meaning referring to Jesus, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. We heard that word reconciled last week in verse 20. We saw that Jesus, as God of all things, is also the reconciler of all things. Well, Paul, wanting to be ultra clear, because again, he's writing to a people he's never met, so he doesn't want to assume they understand what he means, so he wants them to know, you're part of all things. Jesus has reconciled you. And, and notice, he says, he has now reconciled you. Like, this is who you are in the present. Which means... If you are a follower of Jesus and you are struggling with something right now, an addiction, thought patterns, certain behavior, God does not look at you and sees you as alienated. He does not view you as his enemy. You are his 
child. He loves you. He has reconciled you through the death of Jesus on the cross. Remember last week in verse 20, it said that we have peace with God through the blood of the cross. So if you've put your faith in Jesus, God loves you. He is for you. Romans, I mean, uh, Hebrews 12 tells us that God disciplines those he loves. So yes, God might discipline you because he knows that this sin is not best for you, but you are no longer alienated. He's not kicking you out because you're his. He loves you. And, and, and notice what he said, then says. Why does, uh, why does God reconcile us in his body? In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And now I'm going to ask a question, but please, no one raise your hand. But is there anyone here with the confidence to say that you are completely holy, completely blameless, and completely above reproach. Again, don't raise your hand. Because if you do, you're lying. None of us. And yet, did you see what he said? Paul says that you are now reconciled with God in order to present you. Like, it's now happening. It's, it's in the present. He's presenting you as holy and blameless and above reproach. This is what many theologians refer to as the now, not yet. That in the eyes of God, you are now holy and blameless. Because you see, your salvation did not depend upon your works. Again, we fall so woefully short. No, your salvation depends upon Jesus and his work on the cross. And so because your faith in God is dependent on what Jesus has done, that's settled. That's over. And that is why you can be completely forgiven. And yet, even though God sees you now as holy and blameless, he's still working in you. Realize, God is outside of time. By being outside of time, he sees the whole thing. So when he sees your future, he can look at you in the present and go, yeah, but I know who you, who you become. He already sees you as there. And that is why he can step in and minister and work. It's called sanctification. So he works on you, making you, molding you, shaping you into that image of Jesus, as we say at Riverwood, to help you love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. But even though that is your present reality on this earth, in the spiritual realm, if your life is in Christ, you are now holy and blameless. What God is wanting to do is call you to begin to live out who he sees you already to be. This is your present. You have been transformed. You were once alienated, but now through Christ, you are now reconciled. You are holy and blameless and above reproach. That now leads us into the future. Look down there at verse uh, 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. The opening word of that sentence makes a lot of people uncomfortable. There's something within us that feels, maybe it's the Iowan in us or the American in us, but there, there's something that makes us want to like attempt these things on our own. Like we, we, we want to somehow earn our way to God. And you just got done hearing that, no, our salvation is not based upon our works, it's based upon the work of Jesus. But now we see this if, Okay, yeah, it's based on the work of Jesus if, 
And now you're saying, okay, now here it comes. Now, here's what I have to do. And what it causes some people to do is to feel defeated. I'll never be able to do enough. How, how do I know when I've actually attained the, the level? How do I know when I've done enough to make God happy? I, I, I just, I can't do it. And it leads them to fear, or for some people, it leads them to apathy, and they just, they just check out. Other people, it leads them to legalism. I got to get after it. I got to do, 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 more, more, more. But notice, Paul is not asking you to add anything. All right? it, look at it there. He does not say, if indeed you read the scriptures more, or if indeed you go to church more, if indeed you wear the right clothes, or don't drink those things, or don't say those words, or if you stop lying, or if you stop, you know, whatever. No, he says, if indeed you continue. How is it that they came to know Jesus? How were they moved, transformed from their spiritual past to their spiritual present? Through the gospel. So now, how is it that they move through their spiritual present into the spiritual future? Through the gospel. All Paul is asking us to do is to continue with the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. This is what it's all about. That is why he goes on to say, we should be stable and steadfast, and I love this next phrase, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. I, uh, many of you know I'm a Kansas City Royals fan, which brings a lot of pain to life. Uh, I grew up a, a Royals fan, grew up just a couple hours north of Kansas City in southwest Iowa, and so I spent many a nights listening to KMA radio with, you know, the sound turned down way low because my parents thought I was in bed going to sleep, and instead I'm listening to the last several innings of their games. But this is when they were actually good. Right, but anyway, I grew up hearing all the Royals' slogans. Every year, the marketing team puts together a slogan, so you know, I grew up hearing, like, Royals baseball, it's a hit. Uh, or the thrill of it all. Well, in 2014, they decided to get really, really clever and include the word royal in their slogan. So that particular year, the theme was, be royal. Well, in 2014, my Kansas City Royals shocked everybody and made the World Series. They lost in Game 7 to the San Francisco Giants with the tying run 90 feet away at third base. They were this close. So maybe the marketing team thought, this is a good luck. If we just include the word royal into our theme every year, we'll have a good team. So the next year, they won the World Series. It's proven. So now they keep the word royal in there every year. This Last year and this year, the theme is Together Royal. Now, I bring this up because in 2019, the theme was Always Royal. And I have a theory as why they chose that. I cannot prove my theory, so this may be way off, but here's what I suspect. All of those stars who helped them win the World Series in 2015 became free agents in 2018. And the Royals, as a small market team, could not pay the money that these guys now were worth, and so they got snatched up by all these other teams, Milwaukee Brewers, Cincinnati Reds, San Diego Padres. And so my little lowly Royals realized, we're not going to have a very good team. So here's what we'll do. These guys who've left us, because they brought us a championship, they'll always be in our heart. They will always be royal. And that way, when they succeed, we succeed because our team sure isn't going to succeed. Can't prove my theory, but I think I'm right. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to imagine someone's passed away and they come to heaven. All, right, all the jokes show them walking to the heavenly gates and they're greeted by St. Peter. But we're just going to pretend in our little scenario that Peter got the day off. 
Jesus is like, you know, I need to see what you do. So Jesus is actually standing there. And the, the person comes walking up, and Jesus looks at him and goes, hey, I recognize you. You were a Christian from 2002 to 2017. Oh, but that's right. All those really tragic things happened to you. And that caused you to begin to doubt my goodness, which caused you to doubt the scriptures, which began to cause you to doubt the gospel and everything you'd been taught. And you ended up wandering away and you became an atheist. Or wait, did you become a Buddhist? But you know what? Always royal. So come on in. It's fine. I think Paul would look at someone who says, yeah, yeah, I did the Christian thing for a while, but now I've moved on to something else. Would look at us and say, wait a second. Did, did you not understand do, do you not realize the story? God of the universe, creator of all things, creates you in his image. He knows your name. He knows your story. And even though your sin kept you separated from him, even though you were alienated, he has taken you, transformed you out of that spiritual past into the spiritual present. So why in the world, as you move into the future, would you decide to go a different route? Paul does not want the Colossians to begin to hear all these other things. Go, oh, well, maybe what we believed wasn't fully the right thing. No, he's saying, don't shift. Stay here. Because everything around us will fade and change. The reason it is so hard to continue is because, first, there's a lot of voices out there. Our culture is constantly trying to tell us, here's what to believe, here's what to do, here's how to be true to yourself. And they would look at someone who claims to be a Christian, that is outdated, that is closed-minded, that is oppressive, you've got to move away. And yet, now because I'm approaching 50 years of life, I've been around long enough to realize that all of those things change. The things back when I was a teen that everyone got so excited about, this is what you have to believe, Christianity is out of date. Well, if you believe those things, well, 10, 20, 30 years later, you no longer are in the right camp. So you used to be part of the cool group, believing these things, you know, being an activist of these things, and now you're on the outs because you haven't stayed up with the times. And guess what? The people who now feel like, hey, this is the messaging, we're going to post this on social media, we're going to put this in the news, we're going to let everyone know, 20, 30, 50 years from now, they'll no longer be accepted. They're going to get canceled. If you try to make the foundation of your life, whatever the current cultural narrative is, it's going to shift from underneath you, and you're going to find yourself with nothing. That is why Paul does not want you to fall for this idea that, oh, well, there's something better that's come along. No, Paul's saying, there's nothing better than Jesus. He is the God of all things. He's over all things, creator of all things, sustainer of all things, and reconciler of all things. Why would you want to move away from that? Because Jesus is awesome. He loves you. He's for you. So all you have to do is just continue. And so the question is, will you continue? Not only, though, is it hard to continue because of, of, of what our culture and all the voices are, it's also hard to continue just because of life. Like, how are you supposed to continue when, when this God who supposedly can heal doesn't heal you or that loved one? Like, how are you supposed to continue when the bank account continues to be in the negative? How, how are you supposed to continue when God doesn't seem to answer your prayers for a spouse or a kid or for whatever? How are you supposed to continue when God just seems silent? If you're only following God to try to get the benefits, 
in the now, you're probably going to end up being sorely disappointed. Paul himself went through some really horrible, difficult things. If anyone had any excuse to give up and to quit, it would be Paul. And yet here Paul is sitting in a prison in Rome under house arrest. He's already been shipwrecked. He's already been flogged many times. He's had all these things happen to him. And yet here he is telling these Colossians, continue with the gospel. It's worth it. Because when all is said and done and the cultural narratives are quieted and muted, when all the struggles and pains are done because this life is over, you are standing on the firm foundation of the gospel and you get to stand before your God and he welcomes you into the secure future because he has transformed you. You are no longer spiritually alienated. You are now reconciled. You are holy and blameless. You're above reproach. You are his in the now. And if you just continue with that, He will lead you into that beautiful, awesome, eternal future. But the thing is, when you realize this story about yourself, when you realize what God has done for you, taking you out of that spiritual past into this present, leading you into this future, it begins to instill you with confidence. Because you start realizing it isn't about me and what I need to do. It's about him and what he's already done. And you find yourself wanting to continue. So if you're a Jesus follower, will you continue? Now, to those of you who aren't Jesus followers, I talked to you at the very beginning and I I warned you this was to those who are followers of Jesus because you can't continue, but you can begin. And so I will invite you. Would you let today become your spiritual birthday? Will you let today become the day that you begin this journey? Let today be the day that God takes you out of that spiritual past and now gives you a new spiritual present. Will you let him make you his child to reconcile you through the death of Jesus on the cross so that you in the eyes of God can become holy and blameless and above reproach so that he can begin to work within you and then send you out to go and be a blessing to the world, to live like Jesus lived and love like Jesus loved? Will you let today begin. So Heavenly Father, I pray that right now you would do what you need to do. These next holy moments are yours. As we sing, as we take communion, as we pray, for the Jesus follower that's struggling, would you right now instill them with confidence to continue? For the person who has never bent their knee before you, would you let today be the day that they begin? So Holy Spirit, I invite you to do what you need to do in this place, that you would move powerfully you'd work, that you'd speak, whether you speak through your own voice, whether you speak through the songs, God, speak to us. Let today be the day it begins for some. May they they confess their sin, acknowledging that their spiritual present, they want it to become their spiritual past. They want to allow you, Jesus, to transform them because of what you did on a cross and through a tomb. And Lord, for the person that that knows the story, but for whatever reason, just has not allowed it to become central, that today would be a day of of confessing that and just happily and gladly and humbly falling to their knees before you and letting you remind them of the story you are writing. Father, I, I fully recognize that I so often don't live like I am holy, like I'm blameless, like I'm above reproach. I still have too much of that mind that is about me and not for you. So God, that's why I ask that the transformation begin right here and that it extend to my church family. 
And God, as I prayed at the beginning, I pray here at the end. There's just absolutely no way that I can say the right words to each and every person into the story that they're living. And yet you, as a sovereign God, who know all and are over all, can work. So God, that's why right now I trust that you will say what you need to say. You will do what you need to do. That you would open hearts, you would open minds, and that we would hear and we would respond. Because you, Jesus, have written a beautiful story. You were taking us out of that spiritual past of alienation into this beautiful spiritual present of being your son and your daughter, of being reconciled to you. And God, I look forward to seeing what you do in us and through us for the future as you lead us to love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. And it's in his name I pray, amen.